Thank you for listening to Crossroads Community Church of Jefferson Hills. At Crossroads, our mission is to be the church by sharing and showing the love of Christ and inviting others to be recipients of Christ's love. Now, here is this week's message from Pastor Floyd Hughes. Um, and before we continue, I wanted to share a picture with you that's uh, going to help clarify a lot about what this, this, this whole book is about. Uh, it's also going to give you a little bit more insight about like what's going on up here in my head and how I think. So that may scare some of you, but just, just bear with me. Um, this is a picture of a satellite system that I worked on when we were in the military. Uh, I went through 10 months of training to be able to install these, operate these, and maintain these. Now, fun fact, uh, when I was stationed in Panama, we would put the whole satellite, uh, once a year we had to shut everything down, transfer, transfer the information going over the satellite somewhere else so we can do full yearly maintenance. And so we would put it in what's called Zenith, straight up and down, and then we would skateboard inside the satellite disk because it was the perfect loop. Uh, if you look at the door, it gives you an idea of the size of the satellite. The other thing we did uh, is, and we weren't supposed to do this, and I don't think I can get in trouble for this because we don't have any presence in Panama anymore, is we used to, because we were right on the Panama Canal, we used to, when we would put it in Zenith and we'd sit in it, we'd take slingshots and shoot them at the boats going by the Panama Canal. Now, we couldn't reach them, but it was fun just to shoot it and, and you know, see how close we could get to them and all that stuff. But, uh, ten months of training to learn how to operate these. We had to, uh, the, the uh, motorized system, the heating system, the cooling system, uh, the transmission system, everything we had to learn how to operate, maintain, because there was no one else to call, right? It was just us, the soldiers. We took care of all that. So in the ten months of school that I went through, um, I know this might sound shocking to some of you, but I almost failed, Right? The like, I think it was the second or third class. They were in like six or eight week long sessions, and then you'd progress to the next part. And here's, here's why I failed. Again, this is, this is just give you some insight into what goes on in my head. Uh, there was a portion of the class that was about pulse code modulation. Don't worry about what it is, but it's basically you take an analog signal, you take a sample of it, and you turn it to digital. And the equipment did it all. We didn't have to do it. We just had to know how it worked, so if the equipment failed, we could troubleshoot it. We, I think this portion of the class was like six weeks, and I didn't understand a lick of it. Not, not, it was just like Greek to me. Not even Greek. It's Greek, I could probably make my way through. I, I just did not understand any of it. So we had two portions of this test. One portion was a written test. The next portion was a practical where you had to configure the equipment to properly transcode the signal. The written test, I, I barely squeaked through. Whatever the, the line was, I was like just peeking over the line to pass. The hands-on test with the equipment, since I had no clue what I was doing, I, I just failed miserably. And if you failed, what they would do is they would give you remedial training. And then after the training, they would test you on whatever portion you failed again. So I didn't have to take the written again. I just had to take this hands-on portion again. So they gave me some remedial training. They explained how the equipment worked, yada, 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 blah, 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 all this stuff. And I focused. I paid attention. Still had absolutely no clue. 
So when it came time to test for the remedial training, they reconfigured the equipment, and the guy asked me, it was like a one question. He said, which one is configured correctly? Is it equipment A or is it equipment B? So, me, being who I am, I literally flipped the coin in my head like I watched in my head as the coin flip came down. It was tails. I said B. And he said, absolutely correct. And I was like, yeah, I nailed it. That is good. Now, for those of you who think that, you know, this was putting our military or <clears throat> national security in some kind of risk, it wasn't. Because even though I went to the next class, at the next class, the first couple of hours were summarizing what you had already learned. So when they started summarizing this and explained it in shorter detail, not six weeks of detail, just shorter detail, I was like, wait, 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 wait a second, wait a second. I understand this now. And they were like, I hope so, because, you know, the rest, everything else is built upon this. I was like, no, you don't understand. All the detail from the last couple of weeks, I, it, it literally was mush in my head. But that little summary, I mean, it was really little of, here's how this works. It's a sample of an analog signal. It turns it to digital, and then that's done over and over into multiplexing, all that stuff. I was like, I get it. It clicked. It made sense, right? And the same is true when we're doing Bible teaching. Um, um, there are like over 31,000 verses in the Bible. And we could literally spend one week, one sermon on every single verse because there's so much information there, right? And somebody do the math. I don't know how many weeks that would take to, to do 31,000 verses, but we could spend so much uh, time on that. But one pastor put it this way, because this is why the teaching of God's word is so important. Um, he put it this way. He said, it's not about how much information can you include in a sermon, but how much can you leave out and still communicate God's truth, right? Now, the way my mind works, sometimes I throw out lots of information. So um, uh, I know you guys feel like, okay, these are long sermons. You have no idea how much is left up in my office, I'm like, I can't include that, can't include that, can't include that, because I'll go into way too much detail, uh, because sometimes just a quick, short, less is better, right? And so this is what this whole uh, book of Titus that we're going through is about. It's Paul trying to communicate to Titus that, hey, uh, you've got to find effective ways to make sure that people understand the Word of God, because the Christians, the Christ followers, the, the Bible-believing, Holy Spirit-filled people of God, them getting what God says is of the utmost importance, right? If we don't understand what God says, then we're wasting our time. Then we're not able to go do what God has called us to do, right? So this whole book that we're in now, walking through the book of Titus, right, is about a letter that Paul wrote uh, to Titus, to help encourage him and tell him, hey, here's what you need to communicate to people about the Word of God so that they can better understand it. Here's why you need to better understand the Word of God. And he said, uh, first and foremost, it's, it's, even though it's written to Titus, uh, it's written to Titus, but it's for all of us as well. That's one of the reasons last week we said he identifies himself as like Paul, the apostle, called by God, yada, 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 right? Titus already knew 
who he was, that he was an apostle. So if I send, like, a text to Gary and say, hey, Gary, do you want to come help me deliver food on Wednesday? I will usually say, hey, Gary, it's Floyd. Do you want to help deliver food? I don't have to say, hey, Gary, it's Floyd, pastor of the Crossroads Community Church in Jefferson Hills, because he already knows. Speaking of which, do you want to help deliver food on Wednesday? I'll talk to you later. But um, I, I, I don't have to, like, give him the title and all this stuff of who I am, because he already knows. I just have to say, hey, it's Floyd, in case he doesn't recognize my number. And the same is true, that's what Titus does. He writes this letter, but his intent is, it's to Titus, but he wants him to share it with everyone then and to all of us now. And the main theme uh, that we talked about last week is that nothing, absolutely nothing, is more important than correct biblical teaching when it comes to equipping the people of God. There is absolutely nothing more important. That's why he spends so much time digging into this word. That's why he tries to make sure and explain. And what you're going to see, a lot of what he explains, is, is some of the stuff that we're dealing with today. It's almost going to be like he's writing it to our culture today. And this is where it's not so much just Paul writing. This is the Holy Spirit speaking to Paul. And saying, hey, make sure you say this. Make sure you include this. Make sure that you explain this. Because it's not just for the people on the island of Crete, which is where Titus was. It's for the people uh, in Europe. It's for the people in Asia. It's for the people in America. It's for the people in Jefferson Hills. Right? So if you have a Bible, open it up to the book of Titus, uh, chapter 1. And we're going to jump through a bunch of verses uh, really quickly. And we're going to start in verse 5 because we went through verses 1 through 4 last week. And here's what he writes. The reason, this is Paul writing to Titus, the reason I left you in Crete was that you might straighten out what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. Now we're going to talk about what was unfinished. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But he asked them to appoint elders, and that word elders, it's the word presbyteros. I think it's, I'm pronouncing it right, where we get the whole Presbyterian denomination. It's, it's an official role, or some say it's an office, but a role within a local congregation. And he's going to describe a bunch of characteristics that are needed in order to fulfill this role. And what we're going to see is that a lot of people have been confused about a bunch of these characteristics, right? Drop down to verse 7. Uh, he says this. Since an overseer, or excuse me, drop down to verse 6. He says, an elder must be blameless, the husband of but one wife, a man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. And again, this is, this is one of those verses that people have misunderstood and misused. And here, let me, let me explain why. He says, you must be blameless, and you must be a husband of one wife. So what people have done is they said, hey, if you get divorced, you can't be an elder, you can't be a pastor. And I've had conversations where I said, help me understand why you think that. And their thinking is, they say, he says, you must be the husband of one wife. And in my head, my response is usually, well, if you are married... How many wives do you have? Hold up a finger if you know the answer, right? One, okay. If you get divorced, how many wives do you have? None. 
right? If you get married again, how many wives do you have? One. Yeah. According to both your ex-wife and your wife, you only have one, okay? So it doesn't really fit. Also, here's the thing, and this is, this is why I tell people, you've got to read it in context, and you can't hyper-literalize the text. If we stick to that and say, you must be the husband of one wife, if you're not married, never been married before in your life, how many wives do you have? Zero. So technically, if you're unmarried, according to this, if you hyper-literalize the text, then you can't be an elder, which means you can't be a pastor. But I don't think that's what he's trying to communicate. Also, if you hyper-literalize the text, he says, you must have children who believe. So I'm going to pick on Brandon for a minute. Both of his children are under the age where they could even try to comprehend or believe and put their faith in. I mean, they're still trying to get potty trained and, you know, all that kind of thing. So they're not believing children. So that would mean he can't be an elder. Do you really think that that's what God is saying? No, he's communicating that, hey, uh, at that time, there were people who married more than one wife, had multiple wives, and he was saying, hey, you can't be married to two women. You need to only be committed to one because that's the model that God gives for Christianity. You can't have uh, uh, children that are running around stealing and being criminals, and yet you're in church saying we must obey the Lord. Right? Because that's the model that he puts. So it's not that we're trying to exclude people. And, and here's the other thing. This is, this is what really helped me understand this more. Um, Titus was an elder. He was an elder in the church. Titus didn't have a wife. Titus didn't have children. John, the apostle John, was an elder. He referred to himself as an elder. He didn't have a wife. He didn't have children. In 2 John, he says, the elder to the lady chosen by God and to her children. In 3 John, he uses the same thing, but in a letter he wrote to a person, but he also wanted that letter shared, to the elder, to my dear friend Gaius, whom I love in the truth. He was an elder. Didn't have a wife. So it's not that you must be the husband of one wife. It's more that you have to be able to have a God-honoring marriage is what he was looking for, all right? But then he goes on and he says, since an overseer is entrusted with God's work, he must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. Rather, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who's self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught, the gospel that's listed in God's word, so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. Now, uh, uh, a lot of people look at this and say, here are the qualifications for an elder. Here's also the qualifications for a bishop. And again, I'm going to be the guy that, that I don't think that's quite what he's saying. I think what he's saying in verse 6 is, hey, an elder must be blameless. And then he talks about husband of one wife, God-honoring marriage. Then he comes back and he says, an overseer must be blameless. And he gives all these qualifications. Now, that word overseer, uh, it's episkopos, where we get the whole Episcopalian church uh, formed around that understanding. But it's more likely, and I'm going to show you this in a minute, that he's saying, hey, an elder must be blameless. 
and then an overseer, someone, not necessarily a bishop, but someone who has the responsibility for overseeing the church must be blameless, and he describes the characteristics. And Paul, who wrote this, uses that exact same verbiage. Um, in the book of Acts, Luke records that Paul, uh, in Acts chapter 20, he writes this, from Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. Paul was about to go to Rome, excuse me, Jerusalem. He didn't, he didn't know whether he was going to survive, be put in jail, or what was going to happen to him. So he calls all the elders, all the presbyteros of the church from Ephesus, and says, hey, come here. I want to talk to you. I want to encourage you. This may be the last time I talk to you. And after he gives them a rousing speech, this is what he says to them. To the presbyteros, he says, keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. He's not saying over which the Holy Spirit has made you bishops. He's saying of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Now, it's the same word, episkopos, right? But he's using it in a way to say, hey, if you're an elder, you have a responsibility to oversee the people of God. Now, there's a reason why um, he, he kind of digs into this, because Part of the function of an elder is to oversee the church. Like, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm a pastor. Part of the function of a pastor is being a preacher. That's, that's part of what I do. So he lists and says, hey, you guys that are elders, uh, you're to be overseers of the church. And he lists a bunch of qualifications. Now, I'm going to put a, a picture up here. I hope you guys can see it from back there. When we went through 1 Timothy, we talked about some of the qualifications he listed for an elder. Here in the book of Titus, he lists some more. They're not all the same because some of them are cultural. When he wrote to Titus, I mean, excuse me, when he wrote to Timothy, Timothy was in Ephesus. Ephesus was in a, a Vegas-type environment. It was a port city, lots of entertainment, lots of temples, people coming and going. Some people would be there for weeks. Some people would be there for months as they were changing ships and loading off and on supplies. But it was a very, very promiscuous, high-entertainment-type Area. So some of the things he focused on were, hey, you need to be sober-minded to be an elder, not engaging in all of the things that other people engage in. And some of the things he focused on, he said, uh, at the bottom, second from the bottom, not a recent convert, because there were people who would come there and show up on a ship or whatever, lots of new people coming in, lots of new people coming into the church, and then who would come to know Christ He's like, yeah, but you need some longevity. You need some experience. You need some wisdom to oversee the church. He doesn't mention those to Titus because Titus was on Crete, and they had a totally different culture that we're going to talk about in just a second. But he said, hey, if you're, if you're on Crete, you need to be holy, disciplined, upright. You need to be able to withstand and defend the word of God because lots of the people on Crete had a culture that was opposed to it. Now, and here's why, and we're going to see, here's why he says that you need to have all of these characteristics. Drop down to verse 10. He says, for there are many rebellious people, mere talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision group. The circumcision, uh, blah, 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 blah. circumcision group 
were the people who said, yeah, I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe he rose from the dead. I believe I can have eternal uh, salvation through him. But I was raised Jewish, so I believe I still have to obey all of the Jewish laws. I have to have my children circumcised. I have to uh, still, you know, pray three times a day at the temple. Uh, I have to sacrifice animals. I have to obey all these things. Now, that may sound like, oh, that was just that culture. But in our culture today, there are bunches, and I say a whole movement of Christians who are saying, hey, the reason why the world is the way it is is because we're not obeying the Jewish laws. We need to go back and obey all the Jewish laws, all the Jewish customs, all the Jewish rituals. And that is what will get us into heaven. So that culture that he was confronting then is the same culture that we're experiencing now. Verse 11, he says, they must be silenced because they're ruining whole households by teaching things they ought not to teach, and that for the sake of dishonest gain. And it is likely, a lot of theologians believe, this is what he left Titus in Crete to finish up. Not just to appoint elders, but also to correct a lot of the false teaching that was dividing the households, the same type of false teaching that's dividing our households today. In verse 12, he says, even one of their own prophets has said, Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, and lazy gluttons. That's the culture that he was talking about. He said their culture, and it's not that Paul said this. He said even one of the prophets, one of the people from Crete, the island of Crete, says this is their culture. And it sounds like our culture. To where every time you look on the news, you don't know what to believe. All you hear is fake news, fake news, fake news, right? We have everywhere you turn uh, for sale signs, not for sale signs, excuse me, uh, hiring signs from people that are looking to work, but all across our nation, people that are not willing to work. And although we wouldn't say we're gluttonous, we would definitely say that we have a self-indulgent culture. And to them, he says, uh, Paul says, this testimony, in other words, that, that testimony about that culture is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply so that they will be sound in their faith and will pay no attention to Jewish myths or to the commands of those who reject the truth. To the pure, all things are pure, but to those who are corrupted and do not believe, nothing is pure. In fact, both their minds and consciences are corrupted. And here's the key. He says, they claim to know God. These lazy, indulgent, evil people claim to know God, but by their actions they deny him. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing anything good. This is the world we live in. We live in a world where you can't trust. I just had this conversation this morning with several pastors. I hate to get on this, I know. Forgive me. But with several pastors, because some of them were, you know, vaccinations. That's what everyone's talking about. And I said, hey, because he was like, why don't people just trust the science? And I said, I don't think it's that people don't trust the science. We can't trust how the data is being put out because if you put out data that says, hey, everyone must be vaccinated, but you exclude the wealthy and the rich and, and people who bring in money, that is not supported by the data. It's not that people don't trust the data or the science. It's we can't trust how it's being manipulated and used. 
because it's not being put out to achieve truth. Everywhere, someone's putting out, you, they look, we, I mean, we look at the same event on the news, and then depending on which channel you turn on, one person says it's this, and another person says it's that, and those two things don't agree, and truth can't conflict truth. So we don't know who to believe. We live in a culture where evil is abundant, and, and, and it doesn't matter, you know, what, what, topic you bring up. People are divided over it. We live in a culture, like we said, where people are lazy and self-indulgent. And to that, Paul says, and I'm going to put this last verse up in the Amplified Version, he said that these lazy, indulgent, evil people, they profess to know God, to recognize, perceive, and be acquainted with him, but they deny and disown and renounce him by what they do. Their actions, it's I'm claiming I'm a Christian, but my actions go against what the Word of God says. This is one of the reasons why he says that, hey, you've got to teach what is right. Right? So he says these people claim to be Christian, but they're detestable. That's a word that means an abomination. That's how God views People who claim, I'm a Christian, but the things that they do go against his word. Uh, he says that these people are disobedient. They're not obeying the word of God. And I've said this before. I blame the pulpit because we have a responsibility to teach the word of God. There are, uh, there are uh, let's see, elementary school, high school, junior high no matter which one of those classes you go to, they're a minimum of 30 to 45 minutes long, right? When you get to college, the college level, some of the classes you take are an hour to two or three hours long. The classes that I took in the military to, to, to learn that, some of those were like all day on a given topic, six, eight hours every, I think it was every hour and 15 minutes or something like that, they had to give us a 10-minute break because we were there all day in class learning these topics. But when it comes to the Word of God, people are like, keep it to 15 minutes, Pastor, because we've got stuff to do. And this is more important than anything else that we're going to learn. And because people don't understand it and don't learn it, then people end up being disobedient to the word of God. And then he says that they're unfit. That should, that should scare us because it's basically saying, hey, God can't use them. And it should scare us because Jesus says this as well. Right? In the Gospel of John, chapter 15, Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Any branch in me that does not bear fruit, that stops bearing, he cuts away, God cuts it away, he trims it off, he takes it away, and he cleanses and repeatedly prunes every branch that continues to bear fruit. God looks and says, hey, you're not bearing fruit. I don't need you, and he cuts you off. This isn't my interpretation. This is Jesus' interpretation of what God does. If we're unfit and we're not being used by God, God says, I don't need you. But Jesus also said 
that you are cleansed. He told his disciples, you're cleansed and pruned already because of the word which I have given you, the teachings that I have discussed you. The word of God cleanses us. The word of God equips us. The word of God prepares us. And what Paul writes to Titus, and he says, they claim to know God, but their actions, they deny him. They're detestable, disobedient, and unfit. All of this can be corrected by solid biblical teaching. All of that can be corrected by solid biblical teaching because, again, he says there is absolutely nothing is more important than correct biblical teaching when it comes to equipping the people of God. There's nothing that we can do that's going to prepare us for what God wants us to do more than reading his word, obeying his word, seeking to understand his word. So we were going to sing, but instead, I'm going to do this. I'm going to ask you guys to stand. And I'm going to make this charge to, to all of us in the room. And I get it. Here's, here's the reality. I get it. Um, I'm not a book reader, right? So some people recommend books to me all the time. I just can't. I'm not a book reader. I'll spend hours digging through the Bible, but I'm not a book reader. It's just comic books. I'm there. Although I have a stack of those I still haven't read and I keep buying more. Um, I was going to say don't tell Christy, but she's back there. <laughs> but um, yeah, so I'm not a book reader and I get, I get that. And a lot of people are like, I just can't, I can't sit and open, you know, as I try to read through the Bible and I fall asleep. And, and that may not be for you. If you're not a reader, are you a listener? Get it on audiobook. Get, get, a, get a CD, if they still make CDs, I think they do, and, and plug in the CD and listen to it while you drive to work, uh, while you work, while you do whatever. Uh, if, you're, if, if even that doesn't work for you, download a podcast of sermons of people talking about books that you want to understand more. Right now, there's a, there's a, a big uh, like rush for people to try to understand the book of Revelation because many of them think that, you know what, that jab is the mark of the beast. And the reason they think that is because they don't read their Bible. If they read their Bible, they would know there's absolutely no way that's what that could be. And if that doesn't work for you and you don't want to download a podcast, then, then go to a Bible study. If you don't want to join the one that Mark's doing on Revelation, uh, join another one. Uh, go in person, listen online. There are so many ways for us to be equipped by solid biblical teaching that there's absolutely no excuse for anyone. Gone other days where the only way you could learn the word of God is by walking into a church and having people teach you. There are Bibles, like student-level Bibles, teach all kinds of Bibles that will explain. There are devotionals on certain books of the Bible. Find a book that you want to get into. So my challenge to us is find a book that we just, I wish I knew more about. And this fall, spend some time, find a podcast, find a devotional about it. If, you, if you're, you're not sure, let me know what book, and I can recommend either a devotional or a podcast or a teaching or a way for you to expound on that book more. Find something that intrigues you, that excites you, that you want to know more about, and take the step to do that. So I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. God, we truly with our whole hearts, want to know you more, want to experience you more, want to know more about your word. None of us wants to be those people that are unfit. None of us wants to be those people 
who are disobedient, and we definitely don't want to be those people whom you deem are detestable in your sight. So we pray that over the next couple of weeks that we take to heart this concept, this idea of digging into your word more, whether it be through audiobook or podcasts or, or sermons or, or just reading it, taking, taking 10 minutes a day to just read a passage of your word. We pray that you would impress it upon our hearts to do so. Because as we just read, the word of God cleanses us and equips us and prepares us for what you have called us to do. And we want to do your will, God. And we pray that you would encourage us. We pray that we would take this challenge to heart. And we pray this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Amen.